Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Go to the Unknown. Firstly, obviously, if you're a video watcher of this show, welcome. You'll see that I'm not where I usually am. And that's because uh, my neighbors have decided to do some construction. And uh, this studio is on the other side of my office. So far away over there in the distance is the other set. And uh, they're just drilling into the wall. So it's like, no, like, that doesn't make my life easy, does it? So we're shooting everything on what I call set one. Uh, hello, this is Decoding the Unknown. If you're new here, you're probably interested in absolutely none of this. You're like, who is this guy? Why is he telling me all this stuff that I don't need to know? It's not relevant. It's not what is relevant is this one is vampires. A history of the bloodthirsty. For someone, and we've talked about this before on this show, for someone who really doesn't like, like, I, 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 anything with wizards and like any of that stuff, any fantasy stuff, I'm like, I'm out. Like, Lord of the Rings, I'm out. I'm just not interested. If there's a Hobbit involved, I'm f***ed off. Like, not, it's just not happening. Like, I've saw one Lord of the Rings movie. Didn't enjoy it at all. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that 90s show, I was mad into. And I can't explain it. I just enjoy it. It's just fantasy. But I'm like, that one I'm into. Don't know why. Just enjoyed the shit out of it as a kid. Uh, anyway, what I'm here is Katie has written me this, uh, this script. I'm going to read it. Uh, and we're going to see if vampires are real. Ah! <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> Vampires are not real. Vampires always seem to be having a moment. Maybe it's because they're immortal and have a reputation as cool customers. They just never go out of fashion. Legends of bloodsuckers in human form have been around for thousands of years, and even to this day, they are mainstays in the world of literature, film, and TV. But are there real stories behind the myths? Uh, uh, look, 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 here I am. Look at me, keeping an open mind. Open your mind. People will be listening to this like, Simon, why do you have to dismiss something so early? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, look, okay. But people have been around drinking blood. That's real. But are there like immortal spiky... I mean, also people have spiky teeth. Yes. But are there immortal vampires like who live in coffins? I mean, living in coffins, yes. <laughs> but like immortal, don't appear in mirrors, all that kind of stuff. I'm afraid the answer's obviously not. This has been an episode of Decoding the... Oh, so Daisy, I'm just knocking my chair into my desk. Apologies. And what is this hypnotic hold they seem to have on our imaginations? For the purpose of this episode, we're going to focus on the blood-sucking definition of a vampire rather than the wider varieties that prey on psychic life forces, etc. As then would be here all day. I didn't even know there were vampires that prey on psychic life forces. I mean, there aren't, because psychic life forces, again, not real. Got your holy water and garlic ready? Will it even work? Let's decode. Forever Living Legends. You may be wondering why we're so obsessed with vampires when the general concept of a blood-drinking undead immortal who can sometimes turn themselves into an animal seems a little far-fetched. I didn't even realize that vampires could turn themselves into animals. Now you know. It's like that, that children's books, Animorphs. While I love Buffy the Vampire Sister, my sister... Buffy the Vampire Sister. My uh, Slayer. My sister was absolutely into Animorphs. Do you guys remember those books? They were like people who could have, who could morph into animals. I never got into it myself. I never understood the appeal. But she had like every single Animorphs book. 
and was like mental about it and was like i want to be an animorph and i'm like yeah but let's be realistic why don't we aim for a career we can achieve animorph is not one of those things and parents like simon she's five (laughs) well maybe it's because they've literally been around forever and have been scaring humans silly the whole bloody time let's look at some of the original vampiric halls of famous hall of famers and see where the truth has mingled with fiction Sekhmet Sekhmet was the ancient Egyptian goddess of war, and through her we can trace the beginnings of the vampire legend, or at least recorded mentions of it, to around 1500 BC. Conversely, she was also the goddess of healing, but seemed to have a rage on her when she went into battle that could only be calmed down by drinking copious amounts of human blood. (laughs) According to one legend, her father Ra told her to teach humanity a lesson for being so naughty, which caused her to almost wipe out the entire human race, gaining power from spilled blood as she went. In the end, her dad dyed a huge amount of beer red to trick her into drinking that instead and after probably feeling a bit gassy and needing to pee every five minutes her thirst for battle was finally quenched uh, <laughs> this is so ridiculous i love these old legends where it's like yeah according to legends of people who might have existed according to historians who were mostly writing fiction like historians in the past weren't like historians today historians today are like well we got to find primary evidence of that don't we before we can write historians in the past were like wow let's just fill in the blanks with fiction and then we got herodotus and it's like herodotus what's up why like you're writing hundreds of years after the fact and most of it's made up people are like yeah herodotus great historian and it's like well maybe also incredible fiction writer herodotus well done this is one of the earliest known mentions of her of drinking blood and gaining some sort of power from it and also with her twin statuses of goddess and heal of healing and war or life and death segment seems to be a good candidate for the beginning of the vampire mythos Lilith If you want to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, check Lilith out. Some say she was Adam's original wife, you know, Adam out of the Bible. Chapter Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Oh my God, Bible, you're super repetitive. (laughs) It's like, God created mankind. He created them. A man and a woman, he created this. Like, yo, Bible, we get it. All right? steady on see male and female eve doesn't even get a look in until the next chapter when she's made out of a bit of adam's rib so according to some folk tales especially in jewish folklore lilith was the first wife got but got fed up with the situation and almost immediately buggered off making babies with an archangel as she went or she was already pregnant thanks to an incredibly short-lived marriage to adam <laughs> wow this is some like alternative bible interpretation it's like bible fan fiction either way these offspring became the first incubi and succubi demons that like to molest people in their sleep because she had left the garden of eden lilith whose name has been translated to mean night monster was now cursed to exist as a demon she could shapeshift often becoming an owl and she would prey on people by drinking their blood so not only is it bible fan fiction it's quite bad fan fiction at that stupid jewish folklore she was particularly fond of the blood of pregnant women and newborn babies adding a dash more horror to her story there's no real consensus as to the year in which adam and eve were created so let's just say that this story was many centuries ago wait isn't there consensus aren't all the bible people like uh earth earth was made like six thousand years ago and it's like yeah but it wasn't was it because look at all these fossils and dinosaurs and shit. it's like god put them there to confuse us and test our faith and it's like yeah but he didn't did he 
6,000 years? I mean, I get why that could be believable before we had like history and carbon dating and science. And then you'd be like, yeah, I guess it could be 6,000 years old. I mean, it seems really dusty, doesn't it? And then it'd be like, it's billions, billions of years old. Billions. You were multiple orders of magnitude wrong. God is testing us! <laughs> Again, we have elements of the recognizable modern-day definition of a vampire, blood-sucking and shape-shifting in this case. I'll just briefly mention here that in reading up on historical vampires, I came across the story of Ambrosio from Greek mythology, who was supposedly the first ever vampire. If you read this story, it hits all the modern-day vampire tropes like burning in sunlight, being injured by silver, sucking blood, sleeping in a coffin, etc. Don't forget getting all sparkly in the sun! Well, that's hot! Oh my god, those I've seen one of the Twilight movies. I don't remember why, I don't know how, but I have seen one. And it was f***ing awful. And I saw it in the cinema. Why? And I hadn't seen any of the others, and it was like in the middle of the series. And it was the worst piece of that I've ever seen. And I understand why Robert Pattinson hates it. Robert Pattinson, bit of a legend. Like, watch some interviews with him. There was one where it's like, he's talking about the Twilight movies, and he just says something along the lines of, I just don't care. I hated it. I don't care. <laughs> Legend. He played Edward the Vampire. Edwin? No, it can't be Edwin. It was Edward, right? But it appears as if this is actually a modern story someone made up seemingly to try and retroactively create the vampire myth in one neat story. I only really mentioned this in case anyone pipes up about this in the comments. You pipe down in the comments! Yes, while all myths and legends are in essence made up stories, this one is not a historical myth. I thank you. Let's jump forward a little in time now to a meeting of reality and fiction. It's time for Vlad the Impaler. Now this guy is real and he existed and he was scarier than any vampire. He'd like put people- you know why he's called the Impaler? Because he literally put his enemies on big sticks and then let them- I mean up their ass, literally inserting a large stick into their ass, and then he let them slide down on this stick until they died. And it's like, f**k Vlad, you are OG psycho aren't you? Just before we continue with the episode today, this episode of the podcast, brought to you by Storyworth, I thought I knew my father figure better than everyone, says my ad copy, father figure, in my case, also known as dad. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I feel like, even me, as I get older, I feel like I have more and more stories, and you're like, this is cool. But then you know you're going to get older and you're going to forget them all and then you have kids and you forget to tell them about them. And I'm sure, like, my dad's told me some cool stories and all of this stuff throughout, like, my life, about his life. But you know there's tons of stuff he's forgetting for sure. Well, look, Father's Day's coming up and that's why getting StoryWorth might be a great idea because it will help extract those interesting stories from your father figure aka dad uh or you know i guess someone else in your life who could be a father figure i guess that's what they're getting at i guess Storyworth is an online service that helps you and your dad or father figure connect through <laughs> they're really obsessed with this father figure thing <laughs> okay uh connects through sharing stories and memories and preserves them for years to come every week Storyworth emails your dad a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options yeah you don't like i would find this if this was me personally sorry for going off the talking point Storyworth, but a little bit like i don't know i'd find it like not not awkward that's not the right word but a little bit difficult to come up with questions to ask but seeing as it's just a big bank of questions you get to choose i feel that makes it it, it makes it easier it makes it less like What's the right word for that? Like, not uncomfortable. It's just a bit weird, because then it feels like you're asking them a direct question. But when it's like, no, it's story worth question. Just do your best. It feels easier. 
doesn't it? Look, this is a great gift for Father's Day. I was just on a, a trip with a mate of mine and we were talking about, I can't remember what it was, but then I ended up, we ended up talking about StoryWorth. <laughs> and I was like, dude, if you want to do this for like your dad or mum, just get them StoryWorth. And then I absolutely gave him my link. Ah, ah, which is storyworth.com slash decoding. Because you know what he could get through that link? Just like you, he can save $10 of his first purchase. So StoryWorth emails those questions once a week. And then after a year, they compile them all into a beautiful book keepsake book they say here that you can share with the whole family for generations so give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you could both cherish for years to come Storyworth. right now for a limited time you could save ten dollars on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash decoding that's s-t-o-r-y-w-o-r-t-h dot com slash decoding to save ten dollars off your first purchase storyworth.com slash decoding and now back to the show Vlad the Impaler is long thought to be the inspiration behind Bram Stoker's eponymous Dracula for a few reasons. Like his literary namesake, the 15th century ruler was born in Romania and ruled over the region which included Transylvania, aka where the fictional count lived. His official name was Vlad III Dracula. Is that a three or ill or whatever? I don't care. And his favorite method of killing his enemies was to have them impaled on wooden stakes, hence the nickname Vlad the Impaler. There we go. Why am I even re- why, why do I even add my own knowledge? I think it's just so I look smart. So people are like, oh, Simon already knew that, didn't he? What a big brain. Filled with knowledge. What a genius legend. It's estimated that he impaled around 20,000 people during his reign and killed 60,000 more. I'd always thought by impaling them, he just threw them down into a pit lined with sharp stakes. But apparently, and oh, here we go, Katie. <laughs> You're just discovering this. You've obviously not seen my biographics video on Vlad the Impaler. The source of all knowledge. Biographics. Check it out. And this is really grim, sorry. The poles were actually inserted into the victims via a hole in their undercarriages, shall we say. Oh, I already said arse, didn't I? Yeah, the stick goes up the butt. And they said, and then they were pushed through until they came out of their neck, shoulder, or mouth. And sometimes they weren't even sharp, so the poor victim didn't die for quite a while. Vlad Brac- Dracula's brutality and his grisliness in his killing methods gave him the fearsome reputation, gave him a fearsome reputation, and makes it easy to believe some legends that say that he dipped his bread in the blood of his enemies and held banquets among the corpses where more than animal meat may have been on the menu. So there you go. We've now got the name Dracula bloodlust if not actually blood consumption and the introduction of wooden stakes it's a bit of a stretch isn't it i mean do people really think that vlad the impaler was like some sort of dracula figure it seems like wildly different also they're inserting the stake can you imagine him as like the vampire myth is actually yeah to kill them you've got to insert a wooden stake into their bottom buffy the vampire slayer would have been really different a really different show (laughs) really weird oh elizabeth bathory Elizabeth Bathory is a familiar figure to any true crime aficionado or kid with a taste for the macabre. She was a Hungarian countess whose family controlled where else than the region of Transylvania in the 16th century. Bathory was accused of torturing and murdering hundreds of girls, and stories were told of how she drank and bathed in the blood of her Virginia victims to keep herself looking young. I bet that worked. While it's probable that the baths of blood are a wild exaggeration at the least, yeah, you need Doesn't a human body have like eight pints of blood? so like four liters you're gonna have to kill a lot of people to like fill up a bath right that's a lot of blood 
The whole mass murder aspect has also been questioned in modern times, with some historians saying that the whole thing was a mixture of political machinations, group hysteria, and plain old lies, which I actually find a tad disappointing. <laughs> Don't find it disappointing, Katie. It's really nice that she didn't kill all the people that they said she'd kill because they were like children. <laughs> While the Countess and some servants were reported by one source to have killed up to 650 girls over a 20-year period, no real evidence has been found to support this. Nevertheless, after hundreds of supposed witnesses spoke out against her, she was confined to her castle in six. 1611 and eventually died there in 1614. She had gone down in history as the countess who prolonged her life and beauty by bathing in the blood of her victims, tying her into the world of vampires forever. You want to know something insane? And I'm not sure what the science or anything is behind this, but like super rich dudes, they take this is true. I'm pretty sure like, now it's now I'm saying it, it sounds so absurd that I'm struggling to believe it myself. But I think like rich Silicon Valley dudes, like with all their money and their like belief in science and wanting to live forever. Look, I want to live forever. So I mean if this was scientifically proven to like do it. What's that show, Silicon Valley, where they have the blood boy? And uh, they I think this is there's truth to that where they take the blood of young people and transfuse it into themselves because it keeps them young or something. So maybe this bathroom woman was onto something, but she probably wasn't like injecting it into her veins. She was like bathing in it, if she did at all. I don't think she did, but it's crazy that that's a real thing. I hope it turns out that that works because then I'm definitely getting a blood boy. <laughs> blood boy, come here. I need some more of your blood. And they'll be like, Simon, I'm so old. He'll be like, you're 17. Come on, give me more blood. Simon, I feel like I'm 90. You look 92. And like, are we just de-aging? Are we like a small child doing this? It'd be great. Brilliant. Living forever is going to be great. She was immortalized in the Guinness World of Book of World Records for most pro fe prolific female murderer and most prolific murderer of the Western world. So I guess the evidence was good enough for them. Look, allegedly, Guinness World Records is kind of a pile of junk. Allegedly. In my humble one, the opinion of one man. Uh, because it's just like you have to apply you have to pay for someone to come out also she we don't even know whether she was she actually killed anybody it's just like a, a historical rumor from hundreds of years ago so uh i don't believe it to be honest and i don't believe a lot of the records they held in guinness while Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was published in 1897, was not the first vampire literary creation, it was by far the most popular and basically spawned most of, if not all, future versions of the vampire in the 20th century and beyond. But let's stick with history still for a moment, because while the vampire has long resided in our collective consciousness as a supernatural and therefore not real being, there have been plenty of cases in human history where vampires appear to be the only conclusion that people could come to. It's like science like back in the day or like i don't know there was always, it was always the default position yeah yeah we can't explain it it's never unexplained because that makes people uncomfortable it's always like yeah it's witches mm -hmm. witches it's the supernatural it's ghosts it's not it's not there's always a scientific explanation but people just didn't know what it was whereas nowadays we've become just more comfortable with being like we don't know what that is i don't know like space and stuff it's like there's a weird signal coming through the corner of the universe people instantly jump to aliens but the reality is we just don't know and we'll probably not be able to figure it out anytime soon and then when there's been stuff like this in the past is like, as a pulsar a boring stupid pulsar vampire hysteria ah the middle ages i'm so glad i don't live back then i mean i watched things like the last kingdom and spent a lot of time thinking about how god awful everyone must have smelled my old wasp once made the point that if you were short-sighted you probably were screwed because you wouldn't be able to see anything but anyway back then nobody really had much of a clue about how the body worked or what the heck could be causing weird things to happen to people so a lot of time demons witches or vampires were blamed exactly it's like 
You can't see, you're short-sighted. You got demons in your eyes. And just imagine the terror of people in the 1600s. When someone's skin blistered or burned in direct sunlight, their teeth appeared longer and they started behaving in a strange manner. Surely they must be vampires. Well, if this happened nowadays, we'd know, or at least you'd hope that a doctor would know what the per that the person was suffering from some form of porphyria, which causes the skin to become highly sensitive to sunlight, can cause lesions and darkening of the teeth, and also gum recession, which can make the teeth look longer. In fact, there are many diseases whose symptoms cause the sufferers to be wrongly outed as vampires. Wasting diseases like tuberculosis and even rabies have stoked vampire rumors all over the world. Rabies had a special link, as it's most commonly found in animals like bats and dogs, which are traditionally the animals that vampires can change into yeah the problem with rabies is aren't vampires supposed to be immortal and it's like rabies if you get rabies you're f-ed. i've probably mentioned it on this channel before because it's one of the things that scares me most in the world like there's no treatment there's no cure it's just like if you get rabies you're a goner Plagues were also majorly intertwined with fear of vampires. Because of the lesions and reddening eyes plague sufferers could have, it wasn't a big leap to see them as vampires. As plagues spread easily, it seemed that these vampires were attacking their relatives and loved ones first. Other theories posited that plague vampires chewed dying people's shrouds to spread the disease, rather than drinking their blood, but either way, it's pretty unsanitary. This led to the dead being buried with things jammed in their mouths in order to stop them being able to use their fangs should they rise again. I did a Buried Alive episode for Side Projects a while ago. Side Projects is another channel I have, which you're more than welcome to check out after you finish this one. Uh, Which also links into the vampire story. If someone was buried a bit too soon due to being in a coma or some other state, and then they awoke in their coffin and somebody later opens that coffin, they would probably find a somewhat bloodied corpse that looked decidedly unrested. Yeah, and as we mentioned in that side project video, this happened all the time. Not all the time, not obviously not to everybody, but it was way more common than you think. People being buried alive and then them opening the coffins later. And it is just the most terrifying thing. It's like there's a dead body in there, but their fingernails are all like fucked up because they've been clawing at the roof of their coffin trying to get out. And I'm like, I'm not sure if there's a more horrific way to go. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason like being buried alive is one of those greatest fears, right? This is why. Add to the fact that when a body decomposes, it can bloat with blood-like seepage coming out of the mouth and nose. Open that coffin, and what do you see? A nice plump corpse that looks like it's just popped back for a nap after feasting on some blood. Yeah, I have to say, like, of all the ways to have my body disposed of after I die, well, number one, I'd like to have my body frozen so that they can wake me up in the future when the world's perfect. Um, but, like, other than that, if that is not an option... I have to say, being buried is probably like my least favorite choice because it's, I mean, obviously you don't care, you're dead, but do I really need my body to rot and bloat and have like this weird blood-like substance come out of my mouth? Look, just either burn me or better yet, now you can have like, you can have yourself turned into like a diamond or you could have your, uh, you could be like plant, they could plant some tree inside your body or some so this tree grows and it feeds off you. Which actually thinking about that actually sounds worse than the <laughs> just being buried. It's like, yeah, what's happening? The tree's eating you, your dead body. I don't know if that's worse or better than coffin thing. Look, I get cremation. Cremation seems to make a ton of sense. It's just less gross. Or getting made into a kick-ass diamond. That sounds pretty great. And conversely, in other burial conditions, the skin can wither and shrink back, making it look like an occupant's hair is growing, their nails are growing, or their teeth are now longer. 
Now you've got more than a few reasons to be a bit superstitious. Rather than realizing these were people who had reawakened or decomposed naturally, some people believed that they were the dead coming back to life. So it became a common practice in areas across Europe especially to stake bodies through the heart, decapitate them, or put them in the coffin face down to prevent them from rising from the grave. In Bulgaria, for example, more than 100 skeletons with stakes through the heart have been discovered, including two in 2015 that are thought to be 800 years old. My favorite vampire. Everyone has a favorite type of vampire, right? Is yours the suave Bela Lugosi or Christopher Lee as a Dracula type? All slicked back hair, dramatic cloaks, and that star medal thing on a ribbon like he won a gold medal for bloodsucking? Oh my god, I've never seen any of these movies. I'm like, what is this medal? <laughs> is it the creepy Nosferatu type with his long claws, bald head, or bat-like rodent features? Anyone's got a bald head, I'm, I'm voting for that guy. How about the sparkly skin forever teen type of Twilight fame? Hmm? <laughs> Oh god, so bad. Also, yeah, he's like a teenager, but he's also super old. That's weird. That's definitely weird. Like, I mean, you're hundreds of years old and you're dating a teenager. It's a little bit creepy, isn't it, Edward? Just a little. And by a little, I mean a lot, my son. Come on. I hope it isn't that. I didn't read the books, but the films were really crap. Oh my god. <laughs> Fully agree. I heard the books are also crap, so yeah. Wasn't it? Didn't it, didn't it originally start as like Harry Potter fan fiction or something? And then the woman who wrote them was like, F it, I'll just change the name of the characters and introduce some vampires, and boom! And now she's probably a billionaire or something, which is mental. I saw the first two, and that was more than enough for me. Oh no, I've just remembered about that awful cringe-inducing spider monkey line from Twilight. Oh god, I, I don't know what that's from. I didn't see that one. For the love of god, please don't put a clip of it in. <laughs> please, Gentoo, I want to know what this is. You better hold on tight, spider monkey. <laughs> Moving on, there's also the sexy, alluring female vampire, usually pallid with plenty of cleavage. Yes, it does seem like vampires usually equal sexy, apart from Nosferatu. Sorry, lad. Well, why wouldn't they? In traditional tales, they enjoy biting their victims on the neck, which is pretty intimate, and the act of drinking the blood must take a bit of time, so they're on there for a while. The victim has to give in to a certain extent, so the whole thing is an exercise in seduction. I don't know, I've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Normally when those vampires are feeding on people, it wasn't like they were like, oh, okay, go on then. It was like, no. Because also, didn't it turn them into vampires? Pretty sure it turned them into vampires. Which, I mean, at least you're immortal, so that's a plus. And the vampires, like, in the day and stuff, or when they weren't in their vampire mode, I mean, they seem pretty normal. At least the Spike and Angel characters, I mean, they were like vampires and shit. But they weren't like monsters. They were just vampires. Maybe I would like to be a vampire. I remember my first introduction to the world of vampires was through a book called Supernatural Guides, Vampires, Werewolves, and Demons, published by Osborne. It was aimed at kids and gave you information about all sorts of scary characters from legends around the world, accompanied by many a creepy illustration. My favorite vampire from the Supernatural Guide was a bit different from the traditional nobleman type, though, known as Kravoyak or Urbors. This Bulgarian vampire is notable for having one nostril. It also has a barbed and pointy tongue to drink the blood of its victims. Oh. <laughs> why is why is the idea of one nostril so creepy it is right it's like why well, you just have a big hole there like you've done too much cocaine apparently the krivach doesn't need to be bitten by another vampire to become one it happens if someone broke a promise not to smoke or drink wine during lent and then subsequently dies well i guess the lesson is there don't promise not to drink or smoke during lent <laughs> i don't even know when the f lent is it's near easter right uh, I've never done it. I've never given anything up. 
uh, and I won't. So they no problem. I'm not going to become one of these weird Romanian vampires. Problem solved. They stay in the coffin for 40 days before breaking free in their one nostril glory, although you can stop them breaking up by putting wild roses on their grave. How do you find the grave, though? I'm glad you asked. Apparently, the best way is by getting a nude virgin teen to ride a black foal around until the foal freaks out and that's where the grave is. That is incredibly specific. I really hope that this isn't a pressing concern in Bulgaria. The nude teen bit wasn't in my kid's vampire book, by the way. It was only the one nostril detail that really stuck with me. If the vampire has managed to break out already, it can only be defeated by a proper vampire hunter who can capture its spirit in a bottle and then destroy it by throwing it in a fire. Easy. Yeah, all of these, like, you know, like these, uh, like the book Katie read, it's like these sanitized versions of these old fairy tales because the fairy tales were actually super intense. It's, a Sn it's Snow White, the woman who falls asleep in a tower, and then she has to be kissed by a prince. In the original one, she's raped by him, and it's like holy shit, fairy tales. Was this? I don't know if it was for kids in the past, but it was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like they're hiding it. It's not like well, that's how we interpret rape today. No, it's like it's just that's like it's rape. They raped and. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> what is going on, fairy tales? And it's not just the Krivoyat vampire that breaks the hot vampire mold. Have you heard of the Liak from Bali? No, I haven't. While it has a human form during the day, at night it chucks off its skin suit and flies around as a large, wild-eyed, befanged head. Holy shit, with its internal organs just dangling below the air. Oh my god, Bali. Whoever came up with this was on a lot of drugs. It has a penchant for corpses and newborn and fetal blood and uses them to brew elixirs that help it shapeshift. How about Neuteter from Germany? Also not heard of that one, no. Literally translating as nine killers, it said that it takes this vampire nine days to transform into its undead form. According to the Encyclopedia of Vampire Mythology, that classic, reliable, peer-reviewed source, it's covered with open sores and smells like excrement. Charming. There are signs that can point to a heavy predisposition to becoming a Neuteter, and that's if a child is born with teeth, which is creepy anyway. Children aren't born with teeth. Wait, I mean they are, but they're inside their gums, and then they pop out over time. The x-rays of children's teeth, like when the the new teeth are pushing the old teeth out, is super creepy. It's like they got some sort of double jaw going on. Check that out on Google, it's f***ed up. Or if it's born with an actual spoon in its mouth. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that would ever happen, but you know. So to be on the safe side, keep those spoons out of your nether regions, especially if you're pregnant. Now we're armed with some of these warning signs. How exactly is one supposed to deal with these undead monsters? Vampire Slangs 101. <laughs> Who would have thought that we'd have such a useful episode on decoding the unknown? There are several ways you can kill a vampire, or at least weaken it so you can try to escape. Some of these things make sense and others are a bit less obvious, but let's see what handy tips we can extract that might save our souls in the future. The only one I know is like wooden stake through the heart. Oh, and um, is it silver bullets that kill vampires? I mean, obviously they don't because vampires aren't real. But uh, isn't that the other like famous mythological thing? Deny entry. According to legend, you have to invite a vampire into your home, otherwise they can't come in. Oh yeah, this was a thing from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This seems easy, but vampires often have hypnotic powers that can overcome puny human resistance, so keeping one out might be harder than you think. Some theories say that the threshold symbolizes a spiritual link that the occupant of the property has with the building itself, so if a vampire rocks up at your country pal that's been in the family for generations, your protection level is going to be pretty high. If you've just moved into a rented flat and haven't unpacked your mugs yet, your inbuilt protection level is going to be almost non-existent. If you let a vampire 
vampire in, it can come back whenever it wants. In some cases, invitations can be rescinded, but generally, this doesn't work. I mean, obviously, none of this works. Again, you know why? Because it's not real! There's sort of a moral aspect in this part of the folklore, too. If you invite strangers into your home, even if they're really sexy, maybe especially if they're really sexy, bad things will happen and you've only got yourself to blame. Lots of demons seem to get around the threshold by using windows or chimneys though, so a no solicitation sign by your front door probably isn't going to help stop a hungry vampire. This is most useless, like, yeah, I can't come in the door. You got a back door, or left a window open, or I'm just gonna break through that window, no problem, I'm a vampire, I am immortal, I'll be fine. And if you have a doormat with a large welcome sign on it, then maybe you should consider throwing it in a fire. That's just a tip in general. It's not a vampire-specific one. Yeah, those are pretty tacky, aren't they? There are much more tacky ones. But, uh, there any- any- look, any doormat that says anything is tacky. I don't care what it says, you should throw it away. Holy symbols. As vampires are seen as, de seen as demons, evil beings, or unclean in some way, they're particularly susceptible to things like religion. Getting some holy water on a vampire will injure it and can also serve as a protective barrier around people or things. Equally, the symbol of the crucifix will repel a vampire and can burn it if you manage to get cl it close enough to press it on its skin. Even now, people will make a cross symbol where their with their fingers as a quick gesture of in in to enact warding off some sort of evil presence, though it's probably done more as a joke these days, like, ah, get that sticky egg sandwich away from me. Speaking of sandwiches, there's also the Holy Host, which can be unleavened bread or wafer symbolizing the body of Christ. This can be used against the undead as a weapon or crumbled around to form a protective circle, etc. Yeah, but then you're gonna get mice, aren't you? And those are real and annoying. I just committed a mouse genocide at my house. There were many mice. Many. And I set, like, so many traps. And the traps were all full. And then I went and put new traps in. And uh, then only three of the traps went off. So I think most of the mouse are gone because there were like 13. And now there's 10 just without mice, which is great. Because before they were all full. People are going to be like, Simon, why didn't you use humane traps? Because uh, they're just stupid mice, aren't they? I like killing them because I'm a psycho. Also, if I use the humane traps, because this is at my, my, at my holiday house. It's like I only go there every couple of weeks. So it's going to be like, you know, they're going to be in the humane trap. And the humane trap is basically a starvation box which uh, is probably worse than just the quick of the neck. Basically, if it's a Christian symbol, it's effective against vampires. I don't know if non-Christian symbols have any effect against vampires. Presumably, vampires themselves are not religious. So maybe it's just the faith and belief that the weapon wielder puts into the weapon that makes it effective. Or maybe vampires are only susceptible to symbols from the faith that they were before they died. Listen, vampires aren't real, so this whole section is just hypothesis. I'm going to say this section is unnecessarily in-depth. <laughs> But then it occurred to me that other religious symbols are never really mentioned. It wasn't only Christians that got spooked by the vampire idea, as blood-sucking demons have appeared in cultures and countries the world over. I guess things like the Dracula novel, which did rely heavily on holy wafers and crucifixes, just plonked these symbols into the forefront of the narrative. Yeah, and also it's just going to be our Western idea of them. Uh, like, yeah, because that's just like what our culture is primarily. That one from Bali with its insides hanging out. There's not going to be any, like mysterious you know symbols around that one i mean there might be but they're not going to be like crucifixes and i don't know what religion bali is i'm just assuming it's not christian i don't know it could be it could be that got spread around the world by colonialism who knows but look i don't think it is 
garlic. So what about garlic? There are various reasons as to why a vampire might hate the pungent vegetable. Well, the first of which I've just given away by saying pungent. Yes, apparently the ultra-sensitive vampire nose can't stand the smell of it, so it acts as a deterrent. And really noticed that bobs or even peeled cloves of garlic smell that much to be honest it's only when cooking it that i've ever really noticed yeah it's kind of true isn't it i mean i guess if you crunch it up it, you get it on your fingers and you're like Oof. but i love the smell of garlic i'm not a vampire there are wild garlic plants close to my house though and the flowers on those really do pong a bit so maybe it would be more effective to brandish a handful of the stalks rather than a way than wave a three pack of bulbs in one of those netted bags at an oncoming vampire this ties back to real life vampire panics as people who contract rabies can also get a hypersensitive sense of smell so probably wouldn't want to be around garlic that much in the past if you happen to cross someone who Maybe wandering around in a confused state, drooling and baring their teeth in an agitated and agitated as they recalled at the scent of garlic, you may indeed have believed that they were a vampire. Don't cover yourself in garlic, though, as while it may repel one kind of bloodsucker, other kinds, such as leeches, are actually attracted to it, although I suppose you'd need to be near some leeches for that to be an issue. Yeah, I mean also, though, you're 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 closer to leeches than you are to a vampire at all times. Because leeches are real nasty whereas vampires are not real but also nasty garlic has also been traditionally used as an antibiotic it was seen as a cure-all around the second century and had healing properties which a vampire might want to avoid in the mythos vampires are created when they're bitten by another vampire and or drink another vampire's blood i didn't know about the drinking blood thing i thought they just had to be bitten it's an infection that turns them into the vampire, so if there's something hanging around that might cure that infection, the vampire will obviously be wary of it. Also, garlic can act as a blood thinner, meaning that your blood would not be as tasty for the undead to feast on. Does garlic really act as a blood thinner? That's kind of cool. I didn't know that. The wooden stake. The old vampire killing failsafe is a nice wooden stake through the heart. Actually, it's a failsafe for killing pretty much anything. But if we're talking about undead demons, it's one of the few tried and tested methods that's come down through the centuries. It has never been tried and tested. Because vampires are not real. <laughs> It may have started as a preventative method for keeping the dead from rising again, as, as we mentioned earlier, corpses have been found staked through the heart and actually attached to the coffin, so they wouldn't be able to get out if they did reawaken. But what makes wood the best material? Well, presumably, it was just because wood was easy to get a hold of. If folklore told us that diamond stakes were the only way to kill vampires, I guess we'd all be undead hotties by now. For or undead one-nostrilled hotties if you live in Bulgaria. Or a weird flying head with organs hanging out of it if you live in Bali. Was it Bali? <laughs> that was a weird one. Yes, wood was everywhere, so luckily it was easy to fashion into spears or stakes, or you might have had some pre-sharpened things lying around like fence posts, anything goes. Some countries give vampire killing abilities to certain types of trees, such as fruit trees. Others say hawthorn is the way to go. Ash is also very popular, but basically if it's sharp and pointy, it'll do the trick. It doesn't even really have to be wood. Just impale the vampire on something, and it's job done. Oh, I think in Buffy the Vampire Slayer it did have to be wood right like if it was like a metal spike or whatever it wouldn't work had to be wood fascinating <laughs> your knowledge of all vampires comes from buffy the vampire assignment <laughs> it does it does heads off 
The only other killing guarantee is chopping off a vampire's head and then sometimes burning the body or parts of it like the heart for good measure. Again, this is a surefire way of killing anything and anybody, but no vampire has survived this strategy. Unless you're in a large group, have a guillotine lying around, or are very handy with a sword, it's probably easier to try and stake through the heart try the stake through the heart method before going for this one. You have to be extremely strong with a sword to be able to chop someone's head off with it, right? That's just in fiction. And even in fiction, it's some huge dude on a horse. It's also worth saying that as these beings come from folktales and legends, there are no hard and fast rules as to how they behave or what can hurt them. In the Twilight series, for example, our other big authority on vampires, sunlight doesn't hurt the vampires, it just makes them all sparkly. Brilliant. Garlic has no effect on the vampire pool in The Lost Boys. Anne Rice's vampires aren't affected by crosses or religious iconography at all, and also had supernatural speed and senses, which weren't a particular trope before. Basically, what I'm saying is the only thing that holds vampires together anymore is the drinking blood and the immortality aspect. Anyone writing a vampire story today can make up whatever the heck they want. Which leads us on to Vampires Today! We all know that vampires are still popular characters in the world of entertainment. Interview with the Vampire, Twilight, The Lost Boys, Let the Right One In, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and various spin-offs. Where do we... What we do in the shadows, Vampirina, Only Lovers Left Alive, The Vampire Diaries, Being Human, Blade, Underworld, Dracula 2000, Osferatu, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Yes, the Keanu Reeves one, True Blood, Count Duckula. <laughs> okay. And those are the ones I came off up with off the top of my head. Oh my god, I could name like... Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Angel? The spin-off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer also had vampires? Shaun of the Dead? No, that was zombies. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why I liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer so much. I just come back to it. Like I've got no other interest in vampire fiction at all. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer was sweet. While Stoker was influenced by previous works of vampire literature, it was his Count Dracula who set the tone for what vampires were supposed to look like for decades. The silent German 1922 film Nosferatu first came up with the supposed rule that sunlight killed vampires rather than weakened them as Stoker had written. Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles introduced us to vampires who were complex and emotionally intelligent rather than just bloodthirsty demons, and True Blood and Being Human took a look at vampires trying to live their lives alongside the rest of us. In modern day society yeah i tried watching true blood i think i got about an episode in and was like this ain't for me <laughs> this is not my show being a vampire or at least looking like one has appealed to many a moody teen over the years but what would happen if you went a step further and started indulging in actual blood sucking oh, blood is our life force after all so it kind of makes sense that by keeping it topped up you would gain strength and possibly extend your years uh-uh <laughs> Look, I don't even those guys who we mentioned earlier the Silicon Valley dudes like injecting themselves with boy blood um they're not drinking it if you're drinking it you're, it's just gonna get digested in practice though it doesn't work that way <laughs> surprise i mean it's pretty obvious otherwise we'd all have done it long ago i'm sure there are many groups of people that do live some sort of vampiric existence hopefully for fun rather than in earnest but a word to the wise human blood contains a lot of iron and if you consume a lot of it or drink it regularly you can suffer from an iron overdose aka hemochromatosis which can cause all sorts of problems to many parts of the body including the heart and liver there is no current cure okay look just don't drink human blood all right Let's just not drink any blood at all. Just don't drink blood. Problem solved. 
There's no current cure, but ironically, one of the treatments for hemochromatosis nailed it, is the regular removal of blood to reduce the amount of iron in your system. There are some members of the animal kingdom that practiced hematophagy, that's got to be the eating of blood, right? Uh, such as the lamprey, the vampire finch, and the well-known vampire bat, but it's really not a good idea for humans to add this to their diets. So, this is the end, and with a swish of my crimson-lined black cloak, I remind you that you gave permission for this end episode to enter your brain, and now I can come back whenever I want. Ah, yeah, of course you could. If vampire rules were real. <laughs> this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown, boldly interrupted by my neighbors drilling their wall. I started recording this at 10 o'clock this morning, maybe even 9 o'clock. It's now 2.30 in the afternoon. I just had to take breaks because it was driving me insane and also was just extremely loud at points. Ah, well, that's it. If you uh, admire my dedication and you love this show, please give it a like, subscribe. Uh, if you're listening to it in its podcast form, hello there. Please leave a review. That would be awesome. Spotify now accepting ratings. So that's nice. Uh, yeah, if, and if, if you'd leave me a rating, that'd be even nicer. Thank you for watching or listening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.